The majority viewpoint within Christendom today regarding a future reign of Jesus on this earth is that it will never happen. That is the view of both the Catholic Church and the majority of Protestant denominations. This viewpoint is called amillennialism. So what about it? Is this viewpoint correct? Or does the Bible teach that Jesus is returning to reign in glory and majesty for a thousand years from Jerusalem? Stay tuned for the opinions of a panel of Bible prophecy experts. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. As you can see, once again this week I have a studio full of people, all of whom are experts on Bible prophecy. Returning to, uh, with us from last week's program are first of all our guest, who is a dear friend of mine and director of Maranatha Evangelistic Ministries located near DeRitter, Louisiana. Welcome to Texas, brother. Thank you, Brother Dave. Good to be here. <laughs> and again, here is my former colleague, uh, Dennis Pollock, who is now heading up a ministry called Spirit of Grace that's located in Texas, but focuses primarily on the continent of Africa. In fact, you've just gotten back from Africa, right? No, actually from India. Well, in- oh, that's right. You also go to India. Go to India. And uh, glad to have you back. And Thanks, Dave. Always. Blessing to be here. And down here on the end is my colleague, Nathan Jones, who's a co-host of this program. And Nathan, it's always good to have you on the set with me. Now, we're going to be focusing in this segment on the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Is it going to happen or not? And I just want to start off with that question. It's uh, the question of, is there going to be a millennial reign? And if so, why? And I want to start with you, Al. Well, yes, Dave, without a doubt, there is absolutely going to be a millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on this planet, a literal physical kingdom where He will rule from His throne in Jerusalem over the entire planet for a thousand years. It will be a, a reign of peace, justice, and righteousness such as the world has never seen before. Well, that's wonderful news. Why do you believe that? Well, the reason I believe it is very simply because the Bible tells me so. Uh, <laughs> I believe it for the same reason I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, the reason I I believe in the coming tribulation, and that is the Scriptures teach that there is definitely going to be a a literal kingdom that the Lord is going to reign over in this world. If you accept the Bible literally, if you interpret it to mean what it actually says. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of scriptures that talk about the peace of that time, about the justice and the righteousness, uh, how God is going to change nature to a non-vicious nature, how God is going to extend the longevity of life and many, many things, many aspects of the millennial kingdom. In fact, it was one of the favorite topics of the Old Testament prophets uh, because they had, uh, the Jewish people had been so persecuted over the years. They loved to talk about the coming reign of Messiah. You know, I want to come back to that in a moment. Because uh, many people believe that the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is mentioned in only one place, and that's Revelation chapter 20. Yeah. And, but we know it's mentioned in many other places. Many we'll come places. back to that point. How about you, Dennis? Uh, do you think there's going to be a millennial reign? If so, why? Well, I absolutely do. And, and it's the same reason as Al gave. You know, you might as well ask me, do I believe Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee? Do I believe he was born of a virgin? Yeah, I do. Why? Well, the Bible says that. So, But you see, here's the point. If both of you said, well, the Bible says so. Right. And yet the majority view in Christendom today is that this will never happen. So somebody 
happens to believe the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> You're right. Well, yeah, uh, there have been theologians or so-called theologians that have, that have decided that it couldn't possibly mean what it says, and therefore they have turned away. Now, when you say the majority view, I would say this, the majority view uh, in most of the churches that are officially amillennial is, if you go to the average person that attends those churches, is what's, what's, what do you mean, amillennial, premillennial? <laughs> yeah, what what yeah, in the world yeah, is that all really about? Know. They don't know a thing about it. In fact, I think it was you that told me about a, uh, a pastor of a particular denomination that you were teaching on these different millennial views, and he wasn't sure what his church believed, and he went and said, well, I'll have to ask my bishop. And he came back and said, well, I've asked my bishop, but he's not sure what we believe, so he's going to ask some other bishop, and That's we'll right. get back. That actually happened. <laughs> so, I mean, there are, right. there are so many Christians that just, they don't really have a view. But if you go to the official uh, view of their particular denomination, it would be amillennial. And it is the idea that when the Bible, as example, uh, Revelation 20 says he'll reign for a thousand years, the devil will be put in a pit for a thousand years. I think it uses a thousand years, what, five or six times in that short passage. Uh, And people read that and, and they just simply can't accept it as it is written. But the reality is that Revelation 20 passage is very significant because it goes into detail. A lot of prophecies uh, can break down into uh, little little short glimpses, a a, a tiny uh, phrase, a, a, a single verse that gives you a hint about something, but you don't get all the details. But Revelation 20 is the most detailed description in terms of the length of the uh, millennium that you will find in the Bible. And you couldn't possibly miss it except to say, couldn't mean what it says. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Nathan? Well, to even have an amillennial viewpoint means there had to have been a millennium to begin with because a means no, no millennium, amillennial. So where did they get the millennium to begin with? That means millennium was the idea that came before amillennial. And like you gentlemen said, it's Revelation 20. And it says it six times. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were complete, a millennium being thousand years. But will be priests of God and of the Messiah. They will reign with Him for a thousand years. So the idea that came first was right out of the Bible, a thousand years. But it's been 2,000 years, people kind of gave up. And so now we got an amillennial view, the idea that, well, it couldn't possibly be a millennium because time is meaningless to God. That's the thinking So basically it. what the three of you are saying then is that uh, the Bible says... Jesus coming back to reign for a thousand years. It says so point blank. Six times. If you get around times. that, you've got to spiritualize. You've got to say it doesn't mean what it says. Why, why would people want to do that? Why would they want to say it doesn't mean what it says? Sometimes theologians look for some kind of a deeper meaning in the Scriptures, and they believe that by spiritualizing the Scriptures, they can find that hidden meaning that's there. But the best way to always take the Bible is at face value. If it says something, just believe it. Not because you understand it, because look, there's plenty of things about the Bible yeah. that we don't understand, sure. but we believe it nonetheless. So we believe it because it's God's Word. I even had a leading amillennial spokesman one time say to me, in the book of Psalms it says God is, uh, has, uh, is in charge of the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, are there only a thousand hills? I said, no. He said, well, you see, thousand is symbolic. Thousand doesn't mean thousand. <laughs> How do you respond to that? Well, you look at the first coming prophecies. I think the best guide is to look at the first coming prophecies and ask yourself, were these all symbolic prophecies that had no basis in a literal fulfillment mm-hmm. or not? 
Let me ask our audience a question. Was Jesus born of a symbolic virgin or a literal virgin? Mm -hmm. Did he ride a symbolic donkey down the Mount of Olives or did he ride a literal? I think it had been kind of hard to ride a symbol (laughs) down the Mount of Olives. He was riding a real smelly, braying donkey. And so the first coming prophecies uh, overwhelmingly, in fact, I can't think of any that were just purely symbolic, overwhelmingly were fulfilled literally. And to to say God suddenly did a a change and now none of them mean what they say, uh, thou protest too much. (laughs) And of course, uh, meaning of words is determined by context. Uh, When it says God owns cattle on a thousand hills, that's obviously symbolic. Sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas you put it in another context, it's like saying the White House announced today that the president's going to Russia. Does the White House speak? No, that's symbolic. Mm -hmm. But what if I said today I visited the White House? That's literal. Mm -hmm. Context determines the meaning of words. Amen. And so it could be symbolic in one place and literal in another. And I don't know how you get more literal than Revelation 20 where it says it six times, going to reign for a thousand years. Yeah. Well, it's a spiritualization. When you spiritualize the Bible, you become the authority of what the Bible says. It puts you in the place of God instead of God in the place of God as the ultimate authority. It's fun to spiritualize scriptures because then you can make them mean whatever you want them to You're the go-to guy. Now, one thing I, I think may be partly responsible for so many uh, going toward this amillennial view is just sheer laziness. Because yeah. it is a very easy view to understand, to, to uh, believe. You don't have to think much. You yeah. can take huge passages of prophecy and just kind of sum them up in, well, we're going to, Jesus will come back, take us to heaven, that'll be the end of things. And so, you know, if you don't want to study, you don't want to compare Scripture with Scripture, you don't want to read books about prophecy, you don't want to hear any teachings about it, you just want a good, simple, easy, lazy view. Our millennial is for you. Uh, there's not much to it. Christ <laughs> comes, we all go up to heaven, the earth burns up, that's the end of things. You always bring up that five-letter word that's so evil, study. Study, exactly. <laughs> Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our panel discussion of the millennium. Now, uh, Al, I interrupted you a few minutes ago when you started talking about Old Testament references. I want to get back to that now. Okay. Many people believe the only place in the Bible that the millennium is mentioned is in Revelation chapter 20. In fact, I even guys said one time to me, well, it's only mentioned in one chapter of the Bible. So, <laughs> it's like, well, to me, if it's mentioned in one verse, that's important. Yeah. But anyway, are there any references to the millennium in the Old Testament or is this Strictly a New Testament concept. No, in fact, uh, Dave, there's more mention of it in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. As I said a moment ago, it was a favorite topic of the Old Testament prophets. And I could just give you a few examples. I mean, they're so numerous we couldn't possibly do them all on this program. But in Daniel chapter 2, for instance, the Bible tells us that the Lord is going to come back. He will destroy the, the empires and kingdoms of men, and then He will establish His kingdom, which shall last forever. Uh, by far the major topic of the uh, the book of Isaiah is about oh, the millennial kingdom. He talks about it being a worldwide kingdom, how that it will be a great day of peace in chapter 2 of verse 4, when men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And he says, nation shall not lift up uh, a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. He talks about how God is going to remove the viciousness of nature when the wolf will also lie with the 
lamb and so forth in Isaiah chapter 11. It'll be a time of great agricultural abundance according to Isaiah chapter 35 when the desert will blossom like a rose. I mean, Isaiah is literally replete with descriptions of the Messianic kingdom just as Ezekiel and most of the other prophets are. But Zechariah is the one, I think, who puts the cap on the topic. He really sums it up well. It says here in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9, it says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day there shall be one Lord and His name one. And I can only say to that, hallelujah. I can't wait when the whole planet will know who's in charge and it'll be King Jesus. Well, you know, when you talk about Isaiah, remind me that Isaiah, uh, had, he has visions, he has dreams, he has direct revelations from God about the millennial kingdom and just one after another after another. And you get over to the end of the book in chapter 64 and verse 1, he suddenly screams at the top of his voice and says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come on come down. Come I want this to be a reality, Lord. Yeah, How about you, Dennis? Yeah, I'd like to just share a little bit from Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24 is in many respects a parallel to the tribulation as yes. you read it in Revelation. Uh, he goes through some tremendous descriptions of the agony the earth and all the kingdoms will experience. Let me just share a few of those. I know we're talking about the millennium, but we'll get to that in, in just a moment. But uh, he starts out saying the Lord makes the earth empty, makes it waste, distorts its surface, scatters abroad its inhabitants. Uh, he goes on, verse 5, the earth is defiled under, under its inhabitants. Verse 6, the curses devoured the earth. Down to 17, fear in the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Verse 19, the earth is violently broken, the earth is split open, the earth is shaken exceedingly. She'll reel to and fro like a drunkard. Yeah. Uh, just the most graphic, uh, violent language you could imagine to describe. And he goes on and on and says the earth and speaks about the kingdoms of the nations. So this is not just a local judgment on some particular community. But where we get to the uh, millennium is in the very last verse. After going through this tremendous description of violence on the earth and the earth just uh, going through this terrible catastrophe, he says in verse 23, the moon will be disgraced, the sun ashamed, the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion Amen. and in Jerusalem than before his elders gloriously. Yes. And, you know, as we think about these millennial passages like Al mentioned and a number of others, the, the, the question you have to ask is, okay, has this happened yet? <laughs> and of course the answer is, well, obviously no, it hasn't. Uh, has Israel been elevated? Has the mountain of the Lord's house been exalted above the nations? Uh, and the answer is no. So if it hasn't happened, but God says it will happen, what is the obvious conclusion you have to draw? It's going to happen. This is a prophecy that will be fulfilled. And of course, people that study Bible prophecy and think about it and compare Scripture with Scripture and, and read books and write books and, and get involved in the whole thing almost all come to these same conclusions. There will be a millennium. The amillennial view is the premier choice for people that don't like to think too much about it. Mm -hmm. but, but if you go to the people that really study the prophecies and really think a lot about the Lord's return... It always leads you to this idea that Christ is coming back after a terrible period of destruction on the earth and He is going to reign, not in Washington, D.C., not in Nairobi, Kenya, but in Jerusalem for a thousand years. You mean He's not coming back to Texas to reign? <laughs> <laughs> Nathan? 
I look so forward to the millennial kingdom because it is the time of peace Amen. and righteousness and justice. I mean, living on this earth now is like having itching powder on. You know, it's itchy, it's scratchy, you're tired, your eyes are watering. But in the millennial kingdom, it's peace and righteousness. You don't have to worry about your back. You're not carrying guns. Uh, what I like, too, is you go to Isaiah 65. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the youth will die at a hundred years, and the one misses a hundred years will be cursed. You have to have a millennial kingdom just because people are living for a thousand years. I mean, we have the lifespans back. And we, as believers in Christ, are promised that in our glorified bodies we will reign with Jesus. And there's all sorts of verses that talk about that, where we reign with the Messiah, reign with Jesus over the world, and help Him as just... I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to that Amen. time period. Amen. You know, so many times you'll hear a worship leader that will say, well, you better enjoy worship because we're going to be singing, you know, forever, basically. We'll be 24-7 we get to heaven. But the Bible never says we will sing with Christ forever. Yeah. It says we will reign, reign with Christ with forever. That's right. Yes, Amen. yes. It's, it's going to be wonderful. I, I, I think of Ezekiel 48. very last verse of the whole book of Ezekiel talks about, uh, the, the chapter talks about the new Jerusalem uh, that, that will exist during that time, the millennial reign. And it says that the name of Jerusalem will be changed. Amen. To Yahweh Shema, which means the Lord is there. there. Wow. Because Jesus is going to be there in His glorified body. Amen. He's going to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to have David in His glorified body, I believe, is going to be resurrected to reign as the King of Israel. And we in our glorified bodies are going to be scattered out all over this earth for the yeah. purpose of reigning over those who are in natural bodies. Those, those believers at the end of the tribulation who are brought into the millennium in the flesh will be reigning over them. And everybody on this planet who's in a position of authority. Kings, presidents, prime ministers, mayors, school boards, uh, city councils, all of them will be made up of people in glorified bodies. Now, it's, Dave, are you saying there will be no separation of church and state here? I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm saying teachers will teach everything out of the Word of God and nobody will be there to say separation of church and state because there will be no separation of church oh, and state. Right. This is going to be a theocracy and the result is the earth is going to be flooded with peace, righteousness and justice as the waters cover the sea. And for Amen. that reason I get up every morning and shout Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. come the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to our discussion of the millennium. And I would like to just jump into some uh, discussion of amillennialism. Now, amillennialism is the idea that, that the, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ began at the cross and continues to this day, and that Jesus is reigning over the world uh, from heaven at the right hand of His Father. Now, what are some problems with that viewpoint? Nathan, I mean, uh, uh, Dennis, why don't you start off? Uh, well, of course... What they're saying is that these promises of Revelation 20 are being fulfilled even as today. Yeah. And if you look at Revelation 20, it, it describes some things that are amazing. It, it describes Satan being thrown into a pit where he will deceive the nations no more. Amen. If someone is trying to tell me Satan is <laughs> in a pit and deceiving the nations no more, I would say to them, what part of deceive the nations no more do you not get? <laughs> because deception is everywhere. 
America and every other country. I have to say that one time I was teaching on this, and I taught that amillennialism teaches that Satan is bound now. And I had a guy jump up right in the middle. He just said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying they believe Satan is bound now? And I said, yes. He said, well, brother, I want to tell you something. If he is bound now, he is bound on a very long chain because he's always gnawing on my leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if he's bound now, someone needs to inform him that he's yeah, bound yeah. because he Let doesn't seem know. to know it. Yeah. But uh, and, and one other problem that's huge is that the amillennial viewpoint, which amillennialists, those that really take it seriously and, and think it through, uh, really have no use for Israel at all. Yeah. And so that viewpoint declares that God's miraculous restoration of Israel that He has accomplished in bringing the Jews back to their ancient homeland, restoring them as a nation, restoring the land, restoring the military, doing all that He has done to create Israel, something that's never occurred in the history of our planet. All of that is meaningless and at best, it's just a coincidence. It has no prophetic significance. God has no more use for Israel. You have to deny so many scriptures. It's like you just start ripping out pages out yeah, of your Bible exactly. to come to that conclusion. It, it, to me, it's absurd. We had a guy even email in yesterday and said that the modern Jewish state is a construct of the Illuminati. <laughs> now, wait a minute. If the, if the whole world is supposed to be against Jerusalem and at the tribulation, against mm. the Jews, then why would the whole world then build Israel? You know, and yeah. so it's crazy. I would add too, and that we talk about the nations, is that during the millennial kingdom, Jesus rules and reigns as King of Kings and Amen. Lord over all the all the nations who are in subject to him, not in rebellion, but in obedience. Now, I don't know about you, but you look at the world today and see the politics and how messed up it is, and you gotta wonder, these are the nations that are subjected to Jesus well, Christ. If Jesus is reigning today over the nations of this world, he's doing a very poor job. He's totally yeah, inept. Uh, if if that were the case, I would be tempted to say to the Lord, is this the best you can do? Yeah, that's right, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Well, you know, uh, uh, the amillennial viewpoint was not the view of the early church fathers. They were, uh, all the records indicate, all premillennial. But uh, it was developed by the fellow who became the greatest church father in terms of the impact on theology, and that was St. Augustine. And he did this in the 5th century, around 400, when he wrote the book, The City of God. And it was immediately adopted by the church because basically what it's saying is that the kingdom promise that Jesus made to the Jewish people has now been transferred to the church, and the church is the kingdom, and the church is reigning over the world mm -hmm. today. And this was always the position of the church, that we are the ones who should have the authority because we're the, the kingdom of God on earth. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason it was adopted so quickly. And then, once it was adopted, uh, during the Middle Ages and all, if you took another position, you were burned at the stake. Uh, so, people kept their mouth shut. They didn't talk mm -hmm. about it, uh, any other position. Plus, the Bible was not available to people. They, they, there were no printed Bibles. And most people, if they had one, they couldn't read it anyway because they couldn't read. And so, people didn't know what the Bible said about and so for thousands of years, this remained the viewpoint, the dominant viewpoint of the church. Yeah. yeah. And every time that they, people did read the Bible and came across these passages in the Old Testament that speak about the exaltation of Israel and uh, how God would reign among them, they would just immediately transfer it to the well, church. This even is, in 1611 when the King James uh, translation came out, yeah. if you go back and look at a 1611 translation of uh, a King James translation, you will find in the Old Testament that the chapter headings which the translators put in there, mm. they have chapter headings that say God's comfort 
to the church. And then you start reading, it says, comfort ye Israel, comfort ye Israel. But yeah. it's a whole, they, they put chapter headings in that made all this refer to the church instead of to Israel. And there is an argument to be made that we are in the spiritual kingdom of Christ. Christ, when He died on the cross, is to usher in His kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that will come out of this world and serve Him one day. But that doesn't mean that it's the literal physical kingdom that the Bible also promises that is still future. A very good point. And, and it reminds me of the fact that when Jesus was ready to ascend into heaven, the disciples asked Him, are you going to create the kingdom now? Is this the time? He didn't say, hey, that's, that, 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 there's no any kingdom. And, and, mm-hmm. and it, No. He said it's not for you to know the times. Yeah. And you know, Dave, uh, the state of affairs during those early centuries of, of this millennia, uh, you know, really lent support to the idea that the church was supposed to be the recipient of all these promises. You, you know, remember when Christianity first started, it was just a sect of Judaism, a minority sect that was uh, severely persecuted by the Jewish leaders. But gradually as the gospel spread into the Gentile nations and the church became much more populous, and then of course later on half of the Roman Empire uh, adopted the religion of Christianity as the official state church, at the same time, the church or Christianity was growing and, and, and becoming so great, the Jews were being oppressed and they became, you know, were destroyed. Their temple was burnt. They were scattered around the world. And so the logical conclusion is evidently God's through with the Jews and now the church is the new Israel, the, mm. uh, the new spiritual Israel, and thus the recipient of all of those promises that God made to Israel. So there were was, there was some things happening that kind of... Uh, in history that kind of lent support to the to to this idea of course it's it's not biblical but again people tend to watch the newspapers more than they watch the bible right <laughs> well somebody mentioned Zechariah 14 i forget which one of you it was where Jesus, it says in verse 9, I think you mentioned He's going to become king over all the earth. I went to my pastor one time and I said, you, you teach that Jesus is never going to put His feet on this earth again. What about Zechariah 14? And he read it and he read it and he read it. <laughs> Finally, he turned to me and said, son, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know what this means, but it don't mean what it says. <laughs> and you know, that's really the problem. That's the, problem the summation, really, if, isn't it? If, you know, my, my rule of interpretation from beginning to end, it doesn't matter, prophecy, whatever, if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, or you'll end up with nonsense. That's right. Yeah. You don't have to have a degree in hermeneutics. You have to have a Ph.D. in imagination. You just take the plain sense meaning of God's Word. And you've got to have a desire Study the Word. Apply yourself. Apply yourself to the Word and let the Word be applied to yourself. And then you'll understand what God is saying. Any final comments quickly? Nathan? <laughs> well, there's not enough time. <laughs> That's not a enough. That pen is keeping me from Well, I, I do like to bring up one little point, And it's that everybody knows, and they bring it up. The end of the Millennial Kingdom will see one final rebellion. One terrible yes. time will come. But Jesus will win over that as well. Amen. And in the meantime, I'm just going to shout Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Gentlemen, it's been a great blessing to have you here. I learned so much from you over the years, and I want you to be able to share that blessing with other people. Al, first, could you guys tell us what your email and web address are? Our web address is the same as our ministry, MaranathaEvangelisticMinistries.com, all one word. 
And uh, our website is spiritofgrace.org. All the contact, uh, contact information is in it. And we've got a little sign-in form where you can get stuff from us every week. Well, thanks, Phyllis. I really appreciate you being on the program. Folks, that's our program for this week. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. And I hope you'll be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Nathan Jones and myself saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. We are pleased to announce that Dr. Reagan's newest book has just been published. It's titled, The Jewish People Rejected or Beloved. In this 230-page book, Dr. Reagan deals with a variety of challenging questions. Have the Jews ceased to be God's chosen people? Are they guilty of the unforgivable sin of killing God? Has God replaced them with the church? Have they lost all hope as a nation? Are they devoid of any role in the end times? If God still loves them, how can He allow them to experience the Holocaust? Dr. Reagan deals with these and many other questions regarding the Jewish people, and in the process, he reveals the evil of replacement theology and the tragedy of dual covenant theology, and he does so in simple, understandable language. This book can be yours for a donation of $15 or more, plus the cost of shipping. To order, call the number you see on the screen, Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 